Welcome to Murder and Mimosas. Just a quick disclaimer before we get started. Our show is Murder and Mimosas. It's a true crime podcast. This means that we do discuss crimes, including but not limited to disappearances, murder, and sexual assaults. All our episodes are told with the respect of the victims and the victims' families in mind. We strive to ensure that we provide factual information, but some information is more verifiable than others. With that, grab your mimosas and let's dive in. Welcome back to Murder Mimosas. I'm Danica. And I'm Shannon. Before we get started today, we have a few new things to tell you about. For one, today is our last, last call episode. (laughs) That sounds really weird. Um, They just don't seem real popular, so... We're just going to take them out, and instead of having that once a month, we'll replace it with just a regular um, case episode. They seem to do well. Uh, we get more people interested in those. Um, and we also have another thing coming up. Well, for October, we are also going to not only give you our murder and mimosas on Saturday. On Wednesdays, we are going to have Wicked Wednesdays of murders that happened on Halloween or things that happen with horror shows. So we hope that you enjoyed that and that will be just something a little extra for October for you. And on top of that, we have a surprise episode that'll come out on Halloween. So be sure to tune in for that one as well. But for now, let's go ahead and get it. I wasn't going to give them all the deets. I didn't tell them what the episode's (laughs) about. A surprise. Okay, but for today, we're going to do our last call. Um, I couldn't pass that California because um, they currently have almost 700 death row inmates. So I had a lot to choose from, and I couldn't pass up that opportunity. They have the most of any other state in the United States. That is a ton of death row inmates. Who did you decide on since you had so many options? I decided today we would talk about Stephen Catlin. So Stephen was adopted pretty much right after his birth in 1944. His adopted parents, Glenn and Martha, moved Stephen to Bakersfield, California, when he was in elementary school. Outside of that, there isn't a whole lot about Stephen's upbringing. There's no notations of violence, abuse, neglect, or anything along those lines. Despite that, Stephen dropped out of high school and pretty much refused to get a job. The ripe age of 19, Stephen was arrested for his first time on forgery. Though he was technically an adult, he was sentenced to nine months at a youth authority camp in California instead of prison. Though I think at this time they would like, be like, you want to go to war? You want to go to prison. So I guess a youth authority camp was probably not too bad. Not too long after being released, Stephen got married. While I couldn't find any signs of abuse in his childhood home, his marital home was a different story. A lot of this is likely due to his drug use, but his first wife was married to a violent and abusive man. Now, in 1966, at the age of 22, Stephen married his second wife. Wait, when did he get a divorce from his first wife? Oh, that's the kicker. He didn't. (laughs) Oh my gosh. He married wife number two. Wait, wait, wait. This isn't Utah. <laughs> no, it's California. <laughs> he married wife number two while still married to wife number one and just put an alias on the marriage certificate with wife number two. 
Luckily for both wives, it would only be a few months after marriage number two that Stephen would be arrested for stealing a credit card at his place of employment, which was a convenience store. The judge was not impressed with Catelyn in the least. He essentially said Catelyn was an addict and threw him in prison for three years. Honestly, you kind of like the judge. You and I both. (laughs) When Catelyn got out of prison, he divorced wife number one and legally married wife number two. But surprise, surprise, their marriage lasted less than a year. What? Stephen not not one to stay unmarried long or unmarried at all, proceeded to marry wife number three, Edith. Subsequently, Stephen and wife number three were divorced within eight months. Then came Joyce, wife number four. Hold on a minute. Where does he keep finding these women who are willing to marry him? I don't know because we said he's not great with a job. He's worked at a convenience store. He has a record. And he wasn't overly attracted. And it sounds like... Attracted, not attracted. <laughs> he seems to be very attracted. He sounds attracted to anything that walks. He's not overly attractive. We will have this picture. You can be the judge, <laughs> but that's just my two cents. And it also sounds like he was an addict. He was abusive. So who knows? However, I will give him credit that while married to Joyce, wife number four, he did have a job. He worked in the pit crew of a racer by the name of Glendon Emery. While working with Emery, he became very love-struck by Emery's stepdaughter. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) While married, he tried to flirt with his boss's stepdaughter. At age 32, Stephen's fourth wife, Joyce, was admitted into the hospital in Bakersfield with a severe flu. Joyce had complained of back pain, vomiting, and a sore throat. While in the hospital, it was noted that her lungs were also affected. Dr. Einstein, and that's just... A great name for a doctor. Oh, my. Who specialized in lungs was brought in to evaluate Joyce. He treated Joyce for possible viral or bacterial infections, but she did not respond to medication for either. After slight improvement in the hospital, she took a grave turn, and on May 6, 1976, only 19 days after she entered the hospital, she died of what the hospital notated as pneumonia. Stephen ordered that her body be cremated. Her credit life insurance paid off over $6,500 in debt on a car, and the rest, which is about $2,000, went to Stephen. Within a year, Stephen married wife number five, whose name was Glenna. The newlyweds moved to Fresno, where Stephen got a job at a garage. He seemed to excel there, getting quick promotions, and soon found himself managing around 40 employees. I guess they did not do any kind of background check back then. No, they didn't, but Stephen was on a slippery slope at work by 1981. The owners of the garage started noticing auto parts disappearing. At that time, the owners did background checks on all employees, and Stephen's unreported background came to light and got on the boot. We're going to backtrack a bit before, before he began getting caught with sticky fingers, because in October of 1980, the year before he gets caught at work, his adopted father, Glenn, died very fairly suddenly. His father had fluid in his lungs from his pre-existing cancer. However, just as he'd done before, Stephen ordered cremation as quickly as he could. Either Stephen is super unlucky as he is getting more and more suspicious. Yeah, he's definitely sus. Just wait until you hear about his wife, Glenna. So just four years after his father's death, Glenna goes to visit her mother in Vegas in February. While there, she seems to start feeling sick. She returns home to Stephen and Fresno and ends up hospitalized with fluid in her lungs. 
Shocker, this seems to be recurring. Mm -hmm. Before doctors were able to find out why Glenna was sick, she passed away on March 14th, 1984. Another close person to Stephen died from fluid in their lungs, and nobody is putting this together. Let me guess, she was cremated. (laughs) I'm sure she was. It doesn't (laughs) seem like they put it together, and Stephen is just Mr. Dandy. He has a new fiancé that he met while visiting his dying wife in the hospital. On top of that, he has a $57,000 life insurance payout. What Stephen doesn't know is that wife number three has been keeping tabs on Stephen. She took her suspicions of Stephen to the local sheriff, and on the chance his third wife was right, the sheriff contacted Mercy Hospital at the end of November and requested the tissue samples be sent for testing from Glenna. And what do you know that poor Stephen's bad luck would continue because a few days later, on December 8th, Stephen's mother, Martha, would die from what doctors considered to be a stroke. This unfortunate stroke happened just after a visit from Stephen and his new bride-to-be. Of course, like all the others, Stephen requested a quick cremation. Much to his surprise, he was informed that no cremation would be done until after an autopsy. It is important to note that Stephen was, of course, the primary beneficiary of his mother's will. Sure, you can imagine that Stephen is starting to sweat and things just go from bad to worse when the tissue sample results come back for Stephen's mother and his two late wives. All three were poisoned with Paraquat. Okay, I'm glad things are coming together now. But what is Paraquat? So it's an herbicide that came around in like the 1950s to essentially kill and control weeds. While its use is banned in many countries, it is still allowed in the U.S., but it's restricted to only be used by licensed tax. As if it isn't bad enough that all three of these women linked to Stephen died in the same manner, the authorities found a bottle of Paraquat covered in Stephen's fingerprints in his garage. Not long after marrying wife number six, Stephen went on trial in Monterey in May. 1986 for the death of his fifth wife, Glenna. He was found guilty of first-degree murder and given life in prison. However, Bakersfield wanted him too. So in 1990, he faced charges for the death of Joyce, his fourth wife, and Martha, his mother. One important thing to remember, though, is that Joyce's murder did not qualify for the death penalty because it happened before the death penalty was reinstated in California in 1978. Can you remind me what year Joyce died? Yeah, Joyce died in 1976. While Joyce's murder did not qualify, Stephen's mother, Martha's, did. While already carrying a life in prison sentence, Judge Lewis King sentenced Stephen to the death penalty. As of right now, Stephen has spent the last 32 years on death row in California. My guess is with him being 78, he will likely die in prison instead of actually ever receiving the death penalty. So that's the case of Stephen Catlin. I'm going to tell you now that I picked Stephen because of his rare choice in method. Danica, we've heard about death by poison before. It's not that rare. No, you are right. But it is rare that it's used by a man. So just some statistics for you. Women are almost four times as likely to use poison as men are. And it's used in just over 1% of killings by men and just over 4% of killings by women. That is a good point. Most death by poisons are done by women to men, not the other way around. But also I want to point out, I'm actually really 
shocked and surprised that they were able to go back and test those things in that time, but when they didn't have the greatest testing available. That's very true. When I know that they said that um, when they asked for the tissue samples of Glenna to be tested, that they saved them. Like they had had tissue samples, even though she'd already been cremated. So that was interesting. Um, but this is why I found this case particularly interesting because of that reason, especially with 700 to choose from. I needed one that stood out to me and Stephen did. My big question is he was, you know, put on trial for Glenna, for Joyce and for Martha, his mom. Do you think he also killed his father? Yes. Which also, that was something interesting with his mom had a stroke. It didn't say fluid in the lungs. So I was kind of surprised. That one threw me off a little bit. Yeah, I know. And But they said that they found Paraquat in her body. So it may have affected her body differently that's, due to her age. Yeah, that's um, true. Things affect people differently. But uh, yeah, it sounds very suspicious. But the, with his, his father did have fluid in his lungs, but his father also already had cancer. So I know, but I, know. I mean, the fluid in their lungs with all these other ones. But yeah, I, I would have flipped them and would have said maybe the mom died of natural causes when it said a stroke because yeah, it didn't true. sound the same. But so his father died after Joyce, and I'm curious why they didn't test him. Or maybe they just, maybe they didn't take samples because of his cancer. Mm-hmm. Probably. And they just assumed it was cancer related. I think it's a really interesting case because of the fact that I mean, like we haven't done the giggling granny, but it's one we need to do. It's a lot like this, but it's a woman who kills her husbands for money for life insurance. The but she does widow. Yeah. She's I mean, some people yeah. call her that. Um but what do you call a man who does it? A coward. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I don't know. The other thing is, I know a I get black to, widower. Black widower. <laughs> a daddy love, Mark. I don't know. I know that he got money when his mom died, but I wonder if the money when his dad died went to his mom or if it went to both of them. Maybe they both got money. It didn't say. I couldn't find that. Yeah. I did look. I know he got he was the primary beneficiary when his mom died. Um, but I was assumed that his mother would have gotten money was he an only child yeah they adopted him and he was the only one Mm -hmm. um and i couldn't i assume it was probably because they couldn't have a kid yeah um since they never had any others and they didn't adopt any others um but just you know how much that would suck to adopt a kid who kills you no joke that would be awful like we're gonna bring you into a loving home and then you're gonna off us yeah so did the insurance money or the insurance companies get their money back oh i doubt it by the time this happened he'd been paid i don't know that he got ended up getting paid out for his mom's but as for the others i'm sure that money was gone it was years before after the other payouts i mean what's he gonna pay him with oh, prison man. shakes I didn't know if he had anything left or if they had tested his mother before they paid that out or anything I don't know. I didn't find that. I just found that he was the primary beneficiary of life insurance. I didn't say he paid out. I'm assuming since they did an autopsy on her, probably he didn't get paid out before they found out. I've had to guess. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not an insurance.